When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On the Gopher Sports Network, from Learfield IMG College, this is the Golden Gopher Podcast, presented by Schuler Shoes. Fall fun starts at Schuler Shoes. Step in for the largest selection of footwear for the season, or visit SchulerShoes.com. And by Red Savoy Pizza, soda-style pizza since 1965. Find us online at SavoyPizza.com. Welcome to the Golden Gopher Podcast. I'm Justin Gard from KFAN Radio and the Gopher Radio Network. Thanks for finding us each and every week as we continue to stay home together. We appreciate everybody listening to the podcast and all the coaches and student-athletes and former student-athletes that have joined us here, especially the last couple of months. We appreciate their time as we appreciate our great partners on the podcast all year long. Schuler Shoes and Red Savoy Pizza. Go to SchulerShoes.com right now to get information on your location, first of all, but also to place orders because curbside pickup and phone orders are available Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can get all the info, browse their entire selection at SchulerShoes.com. They've been outfitting the Gopher Radio Network shoes and feet for many, many years, and we appreciate their support this year and their longtime support of Golden Gopher Athletics. Same goes for Red Savoy Pizza. They've been open for curbside and delivery this entire time. Some hours have changed a little bit in terms of different locations, but SavoyPizza.com is the easiest thing to uh, do, easiest place to go, and you can check out your location, find out their hours, and again, all the locations are open for curbside pickup and delivery. It's Red Savoy Pizza, soda style, since 1965. Looking forward to today's podcast. I think you're going to enjoy this one. It's a name that should need no introduction. Trent Tucker, former Gopher basketball player from 1978 to 1982, was part of the 1982 Big Ten Championship team, then spent a long time in the National Basketball Association, played a bunch of years with the Knicks after being selected in the first round, sixth overall by New York, played a year in San Antonio for the Spurs, and then his final year went to play for the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. They won a championship in 1993. We're going to talk to Trent about that, as well as his time with New York, playing with Patrick Ewing, being coached by Rick Pitino, Richard's father, about halfway through his tenure in the Big Apple, and of course, 
how he got to the U. It's always a pleasure to talk to Trent Tucker, who's made his home here after he retired. Big time in the community, works in the schools, worked in the schools for an awful long time, worked at the U for a little while as well. He is entrenched in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, and St. Paul and state of Minnesota community, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Trent Tucker. Well, the first question, Double T, is one that I've asked every guest since the middle of March on the Golden Gopher podcast. How is life in quarantine as you stay at home with your family, your wife, and your kids? How's it gone now? You have experience now. We're about two months into this thing. So how's the new normal been for the Tucker family? Well, you know, I'm making a huge adjustment. It's becoming, you know, uh, a normal day of life now. And when you have young kids, I think it's easier for them to adjust, Yeah, you know, to this new normal compared to us who have been around for a very long time. Two months ago, you know, we had a different life, but now two months later, things are totally different for all of us. But somehow, someway, we make a huge adjustment, and, and now I don't even really think about going out anymore. What would Phil Jackson's advice be about quarantine? What would he try to tell you as a guy who spent some time around him? Meditate, find a good book to read, maybe <laughs> The Art of War, and just think about Zen. That's it. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need, right. I understand. Well, I want to talk about Phil Jackson in a minute. There's a lot I want to get to with you. Um, and we've talked a lot about this on KFAN over the years and just uh, with you and I going way, way back to back when I was a teenager. I, I, I know a lot of these stories, but I think our audience is going to love a lot of them. I'm curious, as a guy who grows up in Flint, Michigan, with Michigan State, you know, just a few minutes away, with University of Michigan just a few minutes away, and all those schools in between, how you ended up at the University of Minnesota? Well, yeah, and that's a very good question because a lot of people, you know, even to this day back in Michigan still ask me, well, how did you leave <laughs> Michigan to go to Minnesota? Uh, growing up in Flint, Michigan, and with them being in your backyard, but at the time, we had an assistant coach by the name of Jesse Evans. And Jesse Evans had been in my basketball life since I was in the eighth grade because he was one of the youth coaches at that time in Flint, Michigan. And then he went on to, to become the JV coach at the high school that I went to with Flint Northwestern. So when I left ninth grade, the first few days when I was in high school, when basketball practice began, I was on the JV team. And then the varsity coach came down after that and said, nope, uh, we're going to bring him up to varsity. We're going to see if he's good enough to make the team. And they kept me on varsity as a sophomore, and then I was able to play three years of varsity basketball in Flint. And once I got to a level where I was about to be recruited, you know, Jesse Evans came back. And that time he, by that time, he had moved on to the University of Minnesota to coach under Jim Dutcher. He played for Jim Dutcher, you know, in college as well. So I've known Jesse for a very long time. And when I came up you know, and took my recruiting trip and back in 1977 in October, you know, growing up in, in Michigan, J.G., you know, you're a huge Michigan football fan. Right. And on, and on that day at Memorial Stadium, it was one of those beautiful October days in the mid-'70s. Michigan is in town, ranked number one in the country, playing against the Golden Gophers. And on that day, you know, the University of Minnesota knocked off the number one team in college football. And I said to myself right then, you know what? This may not be a bad place to go to school at. And what did you know about yeah. Minnesota before that? Uh, it was cold. <laughs> they had the Vikings. It was somewhere that I didn't want to go. But once I, I took the trip to Minneapolis, I just felt like that this could be the right place for me 
to play college basketball. And also I thought about if I didn't make it to the pros, it was a it was a big metropolitan area, you know, where I could see myself living here after college basketball was over and then finding my place from there. But Jesse Evans at that time, you know, he played a major role in me coming to the University of Minnesota because my my three final che- final schools I was looking at were UCLA. Wow. A school that you went to, the University of Iowa, and the University of Minnesota. And Iowa was running, I mean, neck and neck with Minnesota. And if it hadn't been for Jesse Evans, you know, maybe I'd go to the University of Iowa because at that time they had an assistant coach by the name of Silas McKinney. And Silas McKinney became an assistant coach under Clem Haskins, you know, when Clem Haskins was here. And Silas was, was, was very, very good. He almost almost convinced almost convinced my mother to send me to Iowa. But she said, you know what, Jesse Evans is my guy. I've known Jesse for a very long time, so I, I am going to send my youngest son to the University of Minnesota. <laughs> I think Lute Olson was coaching back then, right, for the Hawkeyes? That was the Lute Olson era with Ronnie Lester on those teams. Era. I mean, they yeah, had they, they had a good like thing. That, you know, they just felt like I would be a perfect fit for you know for what they did. You know, playing alongside Ronnie Lester. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Silas McKinney. You know, there were days I would wake up and go to school at seven thirty a.m. I would see this this white Cadillac you know, sitting outside in front of my house. It'd be like three or four of them, and Silas McKinney was one of them. Jesse Evans would, would be the other. Because back then, you had no rules in, in, in how many hours you could recruit a kid. You could recruit somebody 24-7. Right. They could sit outside in front of your house all day and all night. They could sit in the school parking lot. They could visit with you, you know, 365 days a year, 24-7. So back then, it was a whole lot different to compare the recruiting times to up to date. So instead of playing next to Ronnie Lester or any of those players at UCLA, you end up playing with a bunch of future pros at the U during your time. Randy Brewer, Jim Peterson, you're obviously a pro yourself, but you played your first two years with Kevin McHale as he was right. making uh-huh. a name for himself. Your freshman and sophomore year, what do you remember about getting to the U and playing with the guy who you know, obviously turned into a Hall of Fame player from Minnesota, Kevin McHale? Well, also, you know, we had the number one recruiting class in the country that year. Mm-hmm. You know, Daryl Mitchell was the high school basketball player of the year. Gary Holmes was was Mr. Basketball in the state of Florida. You know, Mark Hall, I believe, of, of the five guys who came in that year, he may have been the most talented out of Springfield, Massachusetts. You know, here's a guy that averaged 39 points a game in high school. I mean, he was getting it done. Yeah. Then we had Leo Rollins, who came in from Canada. And at that time, he was considered to be the greatest player in the history of Canadian basketball. So I knew that I was coming in with a very good class uh, of, of, of players. I knew that the future could be very bright for us. And, and playing alongside someone like Kevin McHale, you know, he was going to, you know, he was going to give us that, that, that star power that we needed to see if we could if we could compete at the highest level during the big during the Big Ten season. And I think you were below five hundred your freshman year, but after that it was, you know, nineteen wins, nineteen wins, and then obviously Big Ten champs your senior season. What was nineteen eighty two like to go through with a terrific team, ended up with a terrific record, and obviously the last official Big Ten championship for the program in nineteen eighty two. What do you remember about that season? 
Well, you know, it was the last dance for us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because it was our last year, and, and everyone thought by the time we got to our junior year or our senior year that we should be primed to win the Big Ten championship. And we lost the first game to Ohio State, and we had an up-and-down season, but we still were able to win multiple games, and that was a stretch toward the end where I thought that Daryl Mitchell had become our best player. He made some key free throws on the road, especially at Purdue, with no time on the clock, a one-on-one situation down by one. He makes two free throws to win that game. And he played some fantastic basketball right there toward the end, making the two free throws to knock off the, Haw- the Hawkeyes in yep. triple overtime. But going into the last four games of the Big Ten season, we were two games out. And everyone had written us off. So, of the last four games, the first two were on the road. Michigan and Iowa. Michigan. Michigan. We hadn't won in Michigan in 20 years. (laughs) We hadn't beaten Michigan in 20 years in Ann Arbor. But they were a young team, and we knew that we had the veteran leadership to go on the road and knock them off. So we took care of them very easily. Illinois does us a favor on that Thursday night. They beat the Hawkeyes in Champaign. So instead of going to Iowa City down by two games, now we go to Iowa City and we're only one game up. And this is the game that we need to win to have a chance to win the Big Ten Championship. Hostile environment, you know how tough it is to play down in in, 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 uh, in, in Hawkeye Arena. Iowa City, no Minnesota fans were allowed that day. <laughs> and and it was it was the it was the only place at that time as a team we wanted to be. We wanted to go into Iowa City in that hospital environment, chaotic environment, to see if we could win a big-time road game, you know, uh, at the end of the season. Jim Dutcher, very, very mild man, very, very mild, very calm, always under control. But I had never seen the intensity that I saw for him on that day. And when we saw the intensity from him, we knew that we had a great chance to win. And once again, you know, triple overtime, Daryl Mitchell makes two free throws to win the game. But also during that stretch, Randy Brewer made some big-time defensive plays to keep us in the game and gave it to give us a chance to win. 57-55 was the final. Iowa was ranked 11th at that time. Then you come home to Williams Arena, beat Michigan State and Ohio State to finish 21-5 and in the regular season. What was Williams Arena like back in those days? I mean, I'm, I'm one of the elder statesmen now, Trent. You know, I, I remember growing up on those teams of the 80s and, <laughs> and 90s, and everybody remembers 97, and, and I'm, I'm one of the last generations that I think kind of remembers it when it was one of the places to be in town. It can be that every once in a while now when there's a big opponent and the Gophers are playing well, and I, but I don't think I'm being romantic about it when, it was, when I say it was one of those places back in the 80s and 90s. What was it like playing there during that time? It was fantastic. It was a madhouse every single night. You know, back then, you know, they had the benches, you know, for the seats in in the stadium. So we could pack in more people. Yep. So the compassionate crowd was about 17,500. And every single night that we came out to play, we had 17,500. And going into that Big Ten game, Big Ten championship game against Ohio State, there must have been twenty thousand people in Wim's <laughs> Arena that day. <laughs> I don't know how they, I don't know how all those people got in there, but that place was jam packed. And you have to, you know, 
I realized that we were the only major basketball team in the state True. during that time. True. You had, the, you had the Twins, you had the North Stars, and you had the Vikings, and then you had the Gophers. So, so we were the number one main attraction from a basketball standpoint. And when you walked onto that floor at Wims, at Wims Arena, and with that crowd behind you, especially during the Big Ten championship run, you know, that was the greatest feeling that I think I had as a college basketball player. And to win that game on that day and for us to come back with four games to go and two games out and how we hung together as a team makes that run even more special now. And now when you walk out onto the floor in Williams Arena and you look up in the rafters, your picture's there and your uh, jersey number is there. I looked it up today, Trent. I can't believe that's been 11 years since your your banner went up there. It seems like... 11 years already? Yeah, really? I, I know. Wow. 2009 I, I, is when they when they hoisted Double T up to the rafters. What did that mean for you, you know, to have that moment and, and be recognized like that? You know, I was a young guy back then, <laughs> night, right? Yeah, we all were. We all were. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it lets you know that along the journey, you know, so many people played uh, key parts into me being able to have my jersey hanging in, in Wims Arena. And when you're able to achieve a level of success, you don't make that journey by yourself. And there are so many people that, that comes along that path, you know, that allows you to achieve some of the things that you have been able to achieve as a player. And I thank all those people along their journey, you know, who, who, who were willing to sacrifice at that time to give me an opportunity to do that. So it's, it will always be a special thing because whenever I bring my kids to a basketball game, even though they, they don't like to go that much because they'd rather go to Mary Uchi to watch yeah, hockey. Yeah, they're hockey players. Uh, yeah, so, so whenever they, they do step inside of Williams Arena, you know, the first time they went, they can say, oh, Daddy, I see your picture up there. So... You know that's a special thing indeed when you can when you, when your kids can come and and kind of relive some of the things that you did in the past. You become a first round pick for the New York Knicks by the New York Knicks, sixth overall in 1982. Um, what do you remember about your first game in Madison Square Garden and that whole time as a rookie? You know, in the mecca of basketball, it's a sellout crowd. My first NBA uh, game was against the Philadelphia 76ers. So as we get ready to go into the jump ball circle, I look to my right and there's Dr. J. Wow. I look in the in the jump ball circle, there's Moses Malone. I look on the other side, there's Bobby Jones, Maurice Cheeks, and, and Andrew Tony. And I, and I look around and I said, boy, you know, this is real basketball here. And, and I just knew the hard work that I had put in, you know, throughout the years trying to perfect my skill. And that's what, you know, every every young kid, always dream about and about halfway through your next career a, a young coach named rick patino shows up to madison square garden what was the uh, transition like from hubie brown to rick patino what do you remember about those days it was a huge transition because under hubie brown we played mostly half court basketball uh, you could begin your off-season workouts in the latter part of august first part of september getting ready for training camp but once rick patino came in it was a whole new way of playing. We were going to play faster. We were going to press and trap. We were going to play up-tempo. We were going to shoot the three-point shot. And for most of the guys who weren't used to this style, they were like, well, this is not going to work. Right. This is not going to work. And now you had to change your whole thought process. 
on how you got yourself prepared to play for a guy like this. And once and once you got in shape, this was fun basketball to play. It was it was especially great basketball for me because everything that Rick Pitino wanted to do on the offensive end was a perfect fit for my game. And the first time he came in, he says, Trent, you're going to have to change the way you condition during the offseason. You're going to have to change the way you think about pro basketball because this is not how the game is going to be played going forward compared to when you came in. And so that was a huge adjustment for me because the first time I was in transition and I didn't take a three-point shot, he called a 20-second time. <laughs> and he said, now, this is, the, uh, this is the only time I'm going to tell you this. And this is going to be the last time I'm going to say this to you. He said, I would never, ever take you out of the game for taking your shot. He said, but I will take you out of the game for not taking your shot. And I said, before we left the huddle, I said, run that by me again. Mm-hmm. And he says, you heard me. And I got the message. And the next time down in transition, I could hear him, I could hear him in the background saying, take the shot. Take the shot. Take the shot. So once I got my mind conditioned that this was the way that we were going to play, the pressing and trapping playing fans, all of a sudden now this was fun basketball. The way Golden State, the way the Golden State Warriors played today was how the New York Knicks played under Rick Pitino. So we were the first team, I believe, to introduce a fast breaking three point shooting style, but Golden State now during this time has gotten more notoriety for the way they play compared to how Rick Pitino constructed us as a basketball team in the latter part of the 80s. Well, and I was looking around today. I I'd never, I knew, obviously, that, that Rick loved the three-pointer, and that wasn't a thing back then. I mean, now it just seems nonsensical. It just may, I mean, that, the way it plays now, I mean, everybody's shooting 43s, whether they can or not. But you guys, right. I saw the poster of the bomb squad. Yeah, they, that's yeah. what that's what they called you in New York, the bomb squad. You and four, you're in the back there. You got your number six, and... A guy, a shooter like you, had to love that. I, it was fun. It, it was fantastic. I can remember one night we were playing in the garden and we were running and shooting. And I was taking threes, and one fan jumps up and says, "Hey, Tucker, will you stop taking all those threes? You know, pass the ball to somebody else." And Rick Pitino stands up and says, "Hey, I told him to shoot the three-point <laughs> shot. You just relax, okay?" <laughs> like that, say, "Hey." You know, I'm, I'm just only following orders, man. That's all I'm doing. Yeah, you're a coach, you're a coachable player. I, I want to wrap up here. Um, you, you obviously played with Patrick Ewing and and a lot of great players, but your final year, 1992 and 93, you make your way to Chicago to play with a guy named Michael Jordan. You win a championship there, and you've talked a lot about him recently, obviously because the documentary's gone out. And I don't, you know, my affinity for Michael and BJ and Scotty. I mean, I was a teenager when those teams were, you know, when you guys were winning titles and doing all those things. But when you first got to Chicago, what do you remember about just the environment that was created there that you were now walking into? Well, the first thing I had to do when I got there was to earn their trust. And when you're an adversary for so long and you go through different battles here and there, and then you join the team, you know, that was so, was so hard for you to overcome, you have to earn their trust. And now you have to let them know that I am here to be a Chicago Bull. I am here to do everything possible to help this team win. And once they were able to sense that, 
and then it became easier for me to, you know, to become a piece to the puzzle. But just being around, you know, uh, a two-time defending NBA championship team, it's a circus. It's a media circus. Yeah. You know, the, the expectations are there. The pressure is there now, you know, for you to come in as a new player to fill this role that somebody else would do, who had just left. And they were able to play a vital role into this team winning the championship. And then you ask yourself to make a question, you know, are you cut out to do this and focus on a daily basis? You know, this is not something that you can do halfway. You have to be all in. And you have to have the right mindset and the right focus every single day to pay attention to the small details so that you can prepare yourself to perform on a nightly basis. And what? now you have the ultimate, the ultimate, the ultimate ego. And you have the ultimate competitor in Michael Jordan, and he's asking you every day to live up to a certain standard. And then you have to, then you have to, he asks his teammates, you know, is winning as important to you as it is to me? And once you realize that, you know, when it is very important and then all the other stuff can fall in line very quickly. Last thing for you, Double T, um, we could go on forever talking about Jordan, obviously, in your career. But uh, I was reminded in watching, you know, the documentary that after game six in Phoenix, where you were four for four, by the way, which you told that story to us a bunch that Phil Jackson told you you had to make every shot you took. You followed orders again (laughs) in your final game. But you're one of the first people to get to Mike, and that was a you know the doc showed us that was a stressful time for him. There was the gambling stuff, there was the Atlantic City stuff, there was all of those things going into it. What do you remember about you know just getting to Mike there on the floor, and then the the post game celebration and everything that went with it? Well, you know it was a long season for sure, and and JG you know before the ninety two ninety three season began, right after the uh, the Olympics with the Dream Team. You know, Michael Jordan had, had thought about walking away from the game at that time. And he met with Phil Jackson. He says, well, what's the motivation? You know, got two back-to-back NBA championships. Now I just picked up my second gold medal from the Olympics. I won an NBA scoring title. I've been an all-defensive player. I'm considered the best player in the history of the game. What's left? Where's the motivation going to come from? Uh, what's left to achieve. And then Phil said, well, the two guys that you have been compared against, you know, they were able only to do this twice. <laughs> you have a chance now to do it for a third time. And he said, okay, i see you tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Phil was a smart coach. <laughs> and But, you know, to go through that, that journey and to go through that, that season, and when you start out as a new player on the team, you're just hoping that something doesn't derail this team from having a legitimate chance to make a run. You know, you need perfect health. Your best two players got to stay healthy throughout the season. The role players have got to make key plays at critical times to help the team win when things are not, not going well. The coaches, they have to put players in good positions now to be successful. They have to make the right calls at the right time. And then when you get to that final game and you see yourself down by four points with 40 seconds to go, knowing that a, a game seven is is 40 seconds away, you don't want to play a seventh game. You want to end it today. They take a quick shot. Michael gets the rebound, goes to the length of the floor in three seconds. 
all of a sudden now we have to get one more stop. We forced the best team in basketball offensively into a 24-second shot about a shot clock violation. We make the right passes. We make the right play. John Paxson gets a wide-open three-point shot to win to, to win the game. And when all of that comes together, and you re, and you look at the last 40 seconds that you live, you say, "Wow!" Nine months of basketball came down to the last 40 seconds of the season. <laughs> to determine whether we were going to be an NBA champion or not. And for me, you know, that was the thrill of my basketball life, and it was the right way to leave the game. And it's the right way to uh, end the podcast, Trent. We always appreciate you telling a few stories. Thanks for taking the time today. And um, I'm sure we'll do this again because I know you've got a lot more stories. And even though I've heard a lot of them, I still love li- – I, I frequently ask you to repeat the same ones because you've been telling me these stories <laughs> since I was like 13 or 14 years old out at Flagship Athletic Club in Eden Prairie. And I'm 25 years later, I'm still not sick of them. So I don't think our audience is going to be sick of them either. Well, you know, you know, and see, and, and that's why the last dance has come back to remind us that we can continue to step – to tell these stories amen thank you my friend uh thanks for everything you've done for me thanks for taking some time today and thanks for sharing some time about uh your time in the pros and of course at the university of minnesota as well anytime man thanks for having me always great to hear stories from the great trent tucker one of my favorite things is just sitting down with trent and asking him about a player asking him about a coach asking him about a game anything and Trent's going to tell you a great story I think you got the gist of it there and we just scratched the surface of his career with the Gophers his career in the NBA his career after basketball as a broadcaster it's always great with Double T we appreciate him taking the time sharing some stories and sharing a little bit of history with us we thank you for listening to the Golden Gopher podcast and as always we thank our great partners at Schuler Shoes and Red Savoy Pizza please feel free to subscribe please feel free to give us a rating that certainly helps us out and make sure to catch us next week on the golden gopher podcast stay safe everybody this has been the golden gopher podcast presented by Schuler shoes fall fun starts at Schuler shoes step in for the largest selection of footwear for the season or visit SchulerShoes.com. And by Red Savoy Pizza, soda-style pizza since 1965. Find us online at SavoyPizza.com. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Gopher Sports Network. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.